This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles. Welcome to Season 3 of Smarter Cars. This is your host, Michelle Kairouz. In this season of Smarter Cars, we've been talking with our guests about the impact of new mobility services on our cities and how we might need to redesign our roads and curb management in order to accommodate everything from autonomous ride services to scooters. Today we talk with San Francisco Supervisor Matt Haney, who's been a leader in thinking about new mobility services and how they impact cities. Supervisor Haney, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, you have focused on some important issues like homelessness, mental health, and clean streets in San Francisco. Why is transportation also an important issue for the city, and what are the concerns that you hear from uh, folks that you talk to? Well, I I have the benefit of uh, uh, representing a district that has a lot going on, (laughs) for sure. Um, It's uh, sort of our downtown core, the Tenderloin, south of Market. Uh, Most of the major tech companies are there. Um, We also have uh, uh, the majority of people who are living on our streets who are homeless Mm -hmm. are in my district, Um, one of the 11 districts, but we have over 50% of people who are homeless. Um, So we have a lot of challenges, and and we're also the area of the city uh, where we have, I'd say, the most concentrated uh, transportation questions and challenges, (laughs) to put lightly. We have the most people who are coming through, either they're they're, they're traveling uh, through my district on BART or on Caltrain, uh, biking downtown to work, walking, you know, hundreds of thousands of people walking through the district every day. Um, So uh, there are huge questions, uh, not just for San Francisco, but for the entire Bay Area, for California, uh, that are really... um, you know, centered in District 6 in San Francisco. Um, so there's really, you know, for, for as we think about a sustainable, equitable uh, city, uh, one where people can get to work, get home safely, get around the city, um, you know, not be stuck in constant congestion or be in danger as they walk or bike down the street, uh, a lot of that is centered in and around my district. So uh, it's 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 shot up the list very quickly as, uh, as as one of the things that has been a top priority for me in office. Yeah, it, you really kind of have a microcosm of all of the issues right there uh, in your district. How many years have you lived in San Francisco? I have lived in San Francisco uh, about fourteen years, yeah. uh, and and I'm from the Bay Area, so I grew up in the East Bay. Uh, my family's from San Francisco, so I've been around the city for a long time, but have been in San Francisco um, since, like, I think, 2007. Yeah, so how do you feel like the city has changed, particularly the neighborhoods that you point you represent? As you pointed out, there's been so much economic growth and uh, growth in the number of people coming through your district. Um, how do you feel like the city's changed from a transportation perspective? If you kind of think back, you know, in terms of how people get around, how do you feel like that's changed over the years? 
Well, we didn't have Uber and Lyft back then. <laughs> I can tell you that. And if you wanted to get a taxi, you would call, and then you'd have to wait for 20 or 30 minutes. So we'd say, oh, we're going out. You know, make sure to call the taxi now because we're going to be ready in 30 minutes. Um, that was a very different come. situation. Yeah. And then they wouldn't. They, sometimes they wouldn't come. And then you'd call again and again. They'd have these, you know, uh, operators and, and you, you know, you know, you try to get one that liked you. And, um, so it was a whole other, uh, uh, different situation in that regard. Um, we didn't all have smartphones, so we couldn't just go on and say, all right, here's when it's coming and everything is on GPS, you know, and all of that. So right. gosh, I'm, it feels like I'm talking about like the stone ages or something. <laughs> um, uh, I think that, you know, there were a lot less people who were biking around the city. There were, uh, you know, very few, if any, protected bike lanes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, since 2006, uh, 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 biking in the city has tripled. Um, so I think that the, sort of the, 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 the degree of, of, of biking around the city, um, obviously we didn't have the um, Salesforce uh, Trans Bay Terminal downtown. And I right. think that because there wasn't also the degree of tech jobs and development you know this was before uber and lyft not only as transportation but in terms of the thousands and thousands of employees that um they and and you know airbnb and twitter and facebook google etc have brought downtown the the degree of transportation from the peninsula and from the east bay into san francisco for jobs downtown i think has greatly increased so thinking about how we get people you know into the city um, you know, Caltrain, Fourth and King, which is also in my district, mm. uh, and the role that that plays, I think, is a much, much uh, more critical part of our transportation infrastructure. So back mm. then, we walked, we had taxis, we had BART, we had Muni. Um, now we have much more important role for Caltrain. We got high-speed rail, we got biking, um, and we got Uber and Lyft. So there's yeah. a lot more going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I remember most about that time period is just you know, that basically you had to drive, you know, there were just so many times and places where you thought, gosh, I can't get transit or I I won't be able to get a cab. So whether you were going out to dinner or to the ballpark or whatever, it seems like it was very much kind of a drive and park culture. And I think like many cities in San Francisco, in California, you know, the city was basically designed figuring that a lot of people, whether they were going downtown for work or going out to dinner, would need a place to park. And sort of driving and parking was the main uh, way that a lot of people ended up getting around. But now, mm-hmm. as you say, we've got Uber and Lyft. We've got bikes and electric scooters and all these different <laughs> things. Um, right. it, it, how can we change the way we allocate space on our streets to kind of reflect some of these changes in how people are getting around. I feel like there's kind of still a lot of parking and yet people are moving away from from driving and parking than more they want to take an Uber or or ride a bike or something like that. How can we yeah, change our yeah. streets? Well, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, there, there's so much more of a demand for kind of short 
you know, loading type situations mm-hmm. in a way that there weren't. So this, right. it, it's an interesting thing because there actually, it feels like there are more cars on our streets and I think there are more mm-hmm. cars on our streets, but their need for, for parking is, is so much re- reduced because of the, w- what role those cars are playing. Um, right. An important piece of this that I think it's often left out of the conversation is not only the Uber and Lyfts, but also all of the delivery services, yes. the Postmates and the DoorDash and, mm-hmm. all, and all of that. And, and so, Amazon. <laughs> I, and Amazon. So, you know, in terms of best use of, of curb space, I think that has, has, has changed dramatically and our city has not caught up yet. I mean, I think ultimately, and, and, uh, and, and, and we'll see how quickly we can get there, although I know some cities like New York are doing a lot more of this, mm-hmm. that a lot of the spots, if not the majority of the quote-unquote parking spots in my district will we'll probably begin to transition over time either to be removed for bike lanes or other types of, of transportation or be used for loading. Yeah, uh, I think that there's a much greater need for um, for loading uh, curb space in a way that there, there, there wasn't obviously 10 years ago. So I, I think all of that is, is changing. Obviously, there's the, the bigger uh, question of how we shift our sort of streets uh, uh, to be just more friendly in general to other types of transportation mm-hmm. other than cars. Uh, but right now there's too many spots for parking. <laughs> I think sort of in my yeah. neighborhood, I sort of look around, I'm like, you know, I don't really know what role a lot of these parking spots are, are filling. Yeah. Uh, who are you these know, people but, who park yeah, on the yeah, street? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who park on the street. Yeah, but with that said, you know, uh, we also have, you know, some folks have families and yeah, they need to drop kids off at different schools and around the city. And, you know, we, so we haven't fully transitioned either to a place where everybody, you know, can, can survive uh, realistically without a car. So it's sort of we're yeah. in that kind of in-between space. If you got a bunch of little kids, they can't all jump on the bus and go in all different directions exactly. um, either. So Exactly. You know. Now, you know, when you talk to people who have been in the transportation planning space for a long time, um, and you talk about, you know, hey, shouldn't we get rid of some of this street parking and reallocate it to kind of a greater curb use with pickup and drop-off zones and things like that? They just go nuts and say, well, gosh, you know, we've wanted that forever, but, you know, it's just like a political hot potato. You start talking about street parking and people get really upset. It's sort of a a difficult political issue, but... I kind of feel like maybe the tide is changing there, that maybe there's enough people who want to ride in an Uber or ride a bike or get dropped off by a bus that, that maybe the political winds are shifting. How, how do you feel in the conversations you have? Well, you know, my, my district is, is interesting because, you know, we don't have hardly any kind of single family homes. We we're, we're sort of, you know, so that expectation that you can park right out in front of your house and, and that it's going to be there and all of that, you know, I, I, in the downtown areas, uh, you know, it's in, in fact, we get some resistance from some of the businesses, but even the businesses, I think, understand now that there's actually a value to having more of a turnover in front of their, their businesses. Right. Uh, and so I think there is a, a shift and it's not only in my district where I think maybe it's a little easier to have a conversation about alternatives because a lot of people are living in big apartment buildings and they either have a parking spot inside their, mm-hmm. uh, their building or they've already learned to survive without a car. 
uh, and and would probably be open and interested in different ways that they can get an Uber easy, more easily. For example, we we've seen we just had a survey that came out that showed that over 70% of the survey uh, respondents in San Francisco are actually using Uber and Lyft. Um, so it's a it's a much higher percentage even than people who are using Muni, even people who are driving themselves. So we, you know, whether we have concerns about how those companies are operating or whatever it is, we've got, we're going to have to shift, you know, to a reality that that you know deals with that. Yeah, it seems like if you just look at it from a reality perspective and say, okay, well, this is actually how people are getting around. Um, you know, the natural thing to do is to free up more space for that mode and to dial back the street parking. I think people complain about all the traffic that Uber and Lyft create, but of course, you know, private cars were creating that traffic also. Um, But, you know, it seems like we could address some part of that traffic problem by simply devoting more space, you know, on our streets by removing the street parking. So I guess, I guess it's about kind of getting our arms around reality. But let's talk about, um, protected lanes uh, for micromobility, for, for bikes and scooters. Um, can you tell us about some of the things that, that you've done in your district and kind of where you'd like to see the city go in terms of making room on the street for these other modes that are, you know, arguably uh, better throughput and better for the environment? Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, this this has this became very real, and it did for a lot of us, um, and for many of the advocates, this has been real for a long time. Uh, when we lost a, a, a few um, people um, uh, to crashes uh, this this year, um, there was one woman, uh, Tess Rothstein, who was uh, struck and killed by a vehicle on Howard Street in south of Market, and I. Uh, arrived there uh, right after it happened uh, you know the, the the ambulance and the fire trucks and everybody were still there mm-hmm. and uh she was just on the other side of of a street um where there was not a protected bike lane so she had been riding in on a protected bike lane and crossed 6th street where there was not or, or, sorry she was she was just 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 short of a protected bike lane so mm-hmm. beyond 6th street there was a protected bike lane and she just just was before 6th street and for you know for for a lot of us that was that just demonstrated that this yet yes it's an issue of you know convenience and and sustainability and you know a, a city that functions and all that but it's also a life or death issue for people who are traveling by bike in our in our city uh, and so uh, for me and for many others, we just, you know, at that point said, we just can't wait anymore. You know, this this has to happen. There are thousands and thousands of people who are riding their bikes on, on our streets who are doing so in situations that are incredibly dangerous. Uh, and our city is putting them in, in that situation in many ways. Uh, so, you know, thankfully, we've seen some movement since then. Uh, now Howard Street will have a fully protected bike lane, the full length of Howard. Uh, we were able to extend it immediately a couple blocks, and now they're, they're going to do the rest of it. And so f- as I look at what is happening across, in particular in, in my district, where we have right now a lot of people who are, who are riding every day to work and back and to home, and 
and and and I'm frustrated because I don't know what's what's slowing us from actually you know building a fully protected bike lane infrastructure and network that that um that I think should have been done unfortunately um you know years ago well, that was so my question that, for you, because I think everyone yeah. <laughs> kind of looks around and, and you know, all right, and we're, we're all these, these young tech people and, you know, they're used to everything happening fast and all that. But still, like, it doesn't sound like any, you know, the the quick build projects and everything, like, turns out you're able to do them pretty, pretty quickly. So what is taking the SFMTA so long? Like, why is everything you know, three to five years to get done, and, and how can we kind of cut through that bureaucracy? Good question. <laughs> I've had a hard time with that, too, and uh, and I think in some cases when we've really pushed and we've really demanded it and we've organized, things have happened quicker, uh, and I think Howard Street uh, over the last few months is an example of that, uh, and, and we're seeing a, a, a broader prioritization of some of these corridors in south of market now but as you said it often takes a few years they have, have a whole design process that they do a whole outreach process that they do i mean some of the thing these things are a little a little tricky for reasons that you spoke to earlier which is that a lot of these streets have been designed for parking and have certain driveways and have certain turn i mean there is some level of complication on some of the streets because Mm -hmm. you're blocking people's driveways and how do people get in and out and all of that um and turning and and everything so uh but I, i don't think that it should take four or five years you know to build a pretty simple protected bike lane on a street and so we're really pushing to accelerate timelines. Uh, we, my expectation is the rest of Howard Street will be done next year, which is a very quick time, timeline for them. <laughs> and uh, but but there are some things that we we can do immediately. You know, putting up right now we have bike lanes that are out there right now that if they just had some better posts and some better paint, uh, right. that there would be a much stronger protection for the people who are using them. So we've been also asking for that, just the simple quick build uh, protections. Right. Uh, and, and then and then some of the others require sort of a longer design process, but how can we shorten that and get it done quicker? And San Francisco has this weird structure where we have our SFMTA is independent, and so the Board of Supervisors and the mayor doesn't have the same level of sort of ability to accelerate projects mm-hmm. in, in a way that we do on other types of city services. You know, I've asked SFMTA about, you know, why does it take so long? And, and, you know, is there a problem with money? Like, is it because this is expensive, or you need a fund or anything like that? And the answer is like, no, basically, it's not that hard. And it's not that expensive. But it just takes, you know, kind of time and effort and process to get done. Um, And so uh, it seems like the more kind of public pressure that's being put uh, has really accelerated at least some of these quick build projects. Well, I mean, a lot for a lot of issues, our issue is our challenge is money. People say, well, why don't you fix homelessness or, or affordable housing? And <laughs> so it costs billions of dollars. Well, actually, the a bike lane is very cheap. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, it, it, once it's been approved, it can get done in a couple weeks uh, okay. in terms of actual, you know, posting and, and all of that. So uh, it's really more about the process of doing the design and the outreach 
and the limited, let's say, sort of prioritization or, or you know, they can only do a handful of streets at one at one time, I guess. Um, so that's that's more what I hear from them. But still, we want it to go quicker. <laughs> yeah, and and I saw, you know, they did amend the transportation code to allow the SFMTA staff to make certain improvements and do these quick build projects. Are there are there any other kind of process changes? You know, we're, we're looking to new leadership at the SFMTA. Um, are there other kind of changes you'd like to see um, at SFMTA? Uh, there are a number. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, I've also been dealing a lot with pedestrian safety, mm-hmm. and we've had a similar situation where there have been some intersections that have just been dangerous for for so long, and we've known that. Uh, and it took someone being hit by a car, or in some cases, hit and killed, to see that rapid change. And I want to see them be much more proactive. I mean, if we if we understand that we have dangerous intersections where we should have, you know, a pedestrian scramble where we separate people who are walking from uh, the time when people are crossing from when people are turning, uh, and we should do that. You know, we should we should immediately do that. We shouldn't have to wait until yeah. somebody's hurt in order to to move that forward. So I'd like to see a plan um, advance quickly on that. I think you know some other cities have 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 ha- had a standard where if any work is being done on a street that there are certain standards around pedestrian and bike safety that are put in place mm-hmm. as a part of that. I think we've been talking to the MTA about what that might look like. Um, I think that the uh, the new head of the MTA needs to get much more serious about how we work with, partner, cajole, whatever it is with uh, rideshare companies. Mm-hmm. You know, we I think that in many cases we do these huge street redesigns and you know tens of millions of dollars and all sorts of things many of them great things uh but they would completely ignore the existence of Uber and Lyft uh and they wouldn't it wouldn't include any pick up and drop off spots or and you know so how do we in this new environment where I think there's a lot more of an appetite to you know play hardball with them but also integrate them into how we think about our uh, you know our, our our street and, and, and you know design and transportation infrastructure uh, that we do that uh, much more proactively uh, and that and that we partner in, in order to do that. So that's one thing I hope to see out of the new the new leader of the MTA. Now Tom McGuire was named interim chief. Is he being considered for the permanent position as well? I'm not sure. Um, they haven't shared that with us. U- ultimately, it's I believe it's a decision of the MTA board. Uh, although the, I'm sure the mayor has some role, but the mm-hmm. board of supervisors doesn't have any role with it. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> um, so let's switch to talking about bikes and scooters. This this new micro mobility. Um, you know, another way to get people out of their cars is obviously to, as you say, build this infrastructure, build the bike lanes, and the better pedestrian improvements, but also to provide more access to shared bikes and scooters. The SFMTA has had very limited numbers of bikes and scooters under their permit program. Would you like to see more electric bikes and scooters be made available in San Francisco, particularly serving communities of concern? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't think that we have enough that are out there. I think the, uh, you know, sometimes with the, um, the, the go bikes, uh, where it's, you know, the stationary ones, you know, they're, 
they're all they're all being used. They're not available. Mm-hmm. People also want the other ones that are kind of um, you know freestanding. Uh, and I think that we can do it in a smart way. You know, we I understand why the city wanted to pull back a little bit in the beginning when it kind of felt like a free for all. They're just all over the place, and we hadn't really figured out how to regulate them effectively. But I think we've now swung the pendulum too far in the other direction. Uh, that they're not uh, as as widely available as they should be uh, in a way that they can actually really be integrated in, into someone's daily life and their planning and their you know transportation uh, routine. And so I hope that we uh, you know correct for that in the in the coming year as we think about bringing more of those both both electric bikes and scooters on onto the streets. And I think that. It's helpful that that we have uh, are also building out our protected um, bike lane infrastructure. I mean, ultimately, uh, a lot of concern is also on some of these bikes and scooters being uh, having people ride them on the sidewalks and uh, without helmets and those kind of things. Which uh, you know, I think that as we alongside the growth of the the number on our streets, we create an infrastructure that allows them to be ridden safely. I think that there's a lot of hope in, 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 I mean, you know, I think in a year or two, you'll probably see thousands and thousands of people riding those all, all over the city, uh, in bike lanes. And that would be a good thing. Yeah. It seems like, you know, the complaints about scooters were people riding them on the sidewalk, which of course is because they don't feel safe riding them on the street and then people parking them in places on, you know, that kind of, uh, blocked access or what have you, which has, you know, largely been, helped by using lock two mechanisms and things of that nature. But of course, all you have to do is, you know, carve out some parking spaces for scooters and a lot of people will use them. So it seems like if we can get the infrastructure along the lines you're talking about with more lanes and and places for people to ride safely, that it would alleviate a lot of the concerns that that cities have had about scooters and, and bikes. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think there have been some good changes. I, I hear a lot less about people blocking sidewalks and things. I think mm-hmm. they've done some smart things around that, and the the companies have had to innovate in order to address a lot of these issues that and questions that the cities have had. And I think that you know now we should recognize that there have been some changes and open it up a little bit more. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a good thing getting people out of their cars, getting, you know, getting people onto scooters and bikes and all of all sorts. And uh, I don't know why we would want to hold back that, you know, that desire for people to, to use that form of transit. Right. So San Francisco is a transit first city and has had that policy for a long time but transit ridership here as in many cities is down and some people want to blame the existence of uber and lyft for that decline and then there are other people who say well gee if the buses ran faster and on time people would ride them what can the sfmta do to make people uh want to ride transit in places where it makes sense well, they could show up on time. <laughs> they could deal with the crowding issues. I mean, a lot of people, you know, if you you don't want to have a situation where, you know, if you have any sort of other option, uh, you, you know, you choose it um, over 
transit, uh, of public transportation. Uh, and unfortunately, that's been the sense that a lot of people have had about, about public transportation in San Francisco. Um, you know, so we've, we've been trying to do some things to address that, you know, whether it's uh, putting more and, and better buses and trains out on the streets, uh, improving on-time um, performance, uh, and uh, and then and then actually um, changing the the design of our streets to allow for a faster uh, muni service. You know, the Market Street, for example, we're going to completely redesign Market Street, and it's going to be in a way that uh, allows for buses and trains to move much quicker uh, down the street. And some of that is also related to Uber and Lyft. Um, I was just at, a, at something for Second Street. And right now you've got so many turns, left turns, and you've mm-hmm. got drop-offs happening in the middle of the street. And so, you know, you hop on a muni bus and you're gonna, <laughs> good luck navigating that in any, in any sort of, you know, efficient time frame. Not, so not to I think all of those things. Construction going on. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know people won't do it. Uh, yeah. So I think all of that is 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 needing to change. Yeah. All right. Well, final question. There there has been some tension over all of these issues between the SFMTA and the tech community companies that are innovating in the transportation space, whether it be the the TNCs or the scooter companies. And many in the tech community feel there's been kind of an overreaction or backlash against micromobility as a result. Um, What do you think the city can do going forward to foster a better dialogue uh, on these issues with uh, the tech community in order to continue to encourage innovation? Well, you know, we, it's interesting because we have the benefit of having a lot of these companies here. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of them will say, hey, if we can't work with our own city, you know, how, how are we going to we're, – we're expanding all over the world and all over the country, and yet San Francisco won't talk to us. So I think we can start by changing that. You know, we can really have much more of, a, of an open dialogue, a partnership, a learning from each other, of, of kind of planning together in different ways. I mean – you know, these things are out there and they're happening. And I think, unfortunately, transportation agencies have often, you know, wanted to either keep things the way that they are or at least uh, plan as though they they don't exist <laughs> or, right. or, 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 or sort of um, say, well, we can't control those things, so we're not going to talk about them. It's like, yeah. okay, well, <laughs> do, 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 have you opened your eyes lately? <laughs> they're everywhere. So, uh, and they're coming, right? And, there's, and, and people want them. And so you also shouldn't deny um, if people are making transportation choices um, that we should uh, view that as a good thing, particularly when it's getting people out of cars, and yeah. we should try to figure out how to facilitate it in a way that works for our city rather than try to stop it. And I think that the the situation with the taxis and Uber and Lyft is in kind of instructive around that, not just for San Francisco, but for other cities and for California, that we didn't really get ahead of this, we, we, even though we saw it coming, we saw it growing every year. And so the, the situation that we're in is not only did the taxi industry get decimated, but our infrastructure, our planning uh, didn't take into consideration you know, all of these changes around how people were getting around. So I'd like to see us open more dialogue. I'd like to see us work together. 
Uh, I'd like to see us, you know, plan understanding how these technologies work and, you know, create a city where people can make choices uh, about how they get around uh, in a way that fits their own sort of needs and convenience and also has more sustainability and less congestion, better for the environment, better for people's wellness. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, that's, the city shouldn't be getting in the way of that. I mean, I, I, I think that there's the, the, the companies and not just the companies, but the people who use those modes of transportation are, are probably right that we probably have gotten in the way. The city has gotten in the way. All right. Well, I guess we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Sure. Uh, it was great talking with you. I look forward to yes, uh, following you. what you're doing in your district and across the city. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Supervisor Haney for joining us. You can find the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes, as well as policy articles on our Medium publication called Smarter Cars. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.